they say people don't read on the internet, but people read when they're interested, right? So if it's interesting to them, if it's applicable to my life and what I need right now, then I'm going to read and continue reading. If it's not, I might stop. I might put it in a tab and forget it ever existed. I might go to another solution. Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einolander. I'm helping you navigate indie publishing. And today's guest is Kelly Gardner, who will be chatting with me about how knowing how to write great copy can help you write a great book. Kelly Gardner is a conversion copywriter who's obsessed with how website copy works. She loves helping solo service providers get better results through website copy audits, website refreshes, coaching, and education. Welcome, Kelly. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Happy to do it. I've been following you on LinkedIn and Instagram for a while now and um, have been getting a lot of good information from you. Um, a few moments of uh, chagrin when I realize I'm doing something that you do not recommend. <laughs> I have the same thing. I've done things I don't recommend over the years for sure. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's how you learn, right? You go back and you go, hmm, actually, that's something that I no longer want in my life. I remember specifically you were saying that thing about LinkedIn posts where everybody just writes one line. Uh, do you remember that one? Yeah, I was thinking about this morning just because I was reading an introduction to a book that was just like that, you know, just one sentence paragraphs. And my brain just mm -hmm. doesn't know what's important. You know, let's see, like if everything's important, then nothing is. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think that we've kind of gone in the direction of saying, oh, short attention spans, short paragraphs. But if they're it's if they're too short, it's like they're all a paragraph to me. Right. And if it's a whole um, a whole, you know, like 12 inches of short paragraphs, I still don't have the attention span for that. <laughs> I don't know what to read. I remember going back over a post that I just posted, like right before you posted that and was like, is she talking about me? And then I was like, no, because there's and then I went through other posts and was like, oh, no, it's like really bad on a lot of posts um, because even just having two sentences together makes such a big difference. Um, but I'm getting kind of hung up on one thing now, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first thing I wanted to talk to you about this conversation is going to be about kind of finding those points of. Um, similarity between copywriting and writing nonfiction books, because in my experience doing both, I've realized there's a lot of things that one should keep in mind that are the same, um, where I have seen both you and myself in my own experience kind of start is that a person should know their target audience. Um why is that so important and how can people do it better? Well, for copywriting, it's the first thing. It's the only thing. It's where you start. It's where you end, right? Like your customer is who you're writing for because the whole point is to move them to take an action, right? And if you don't know who they are or what they want or what's going on, you know, behind the screen, then you won't know how to do it, right? You could be 
guessing. Um, and that's what a lot of people start with. They kind of guess, they see what's out there, they see what other people do, and they kind of copy that. Um, but if you know who your reader is, then you'll know what to do. Like the action will go from there, will flow from there. So um, if you're writing a book, you might start from an empty page. You know, you might do some free writing. Writing is a process of discovery, and it could be that way in copywriting as well. But if you're sitting down to write um, some sales copy, if you're sitting down to write like a website page or a landing page or a LinkedIn post, you want to have an idea of um, what the people you're writing to want and how you can give it to them. So you're going to start with who they are and what they want and then what you can offer them. And then the copy flows from there. Do you have recommendations on how people can figure out who they're talking to if um, so they don't fall into that? I'm making this for everybody <laughs> trap. <laughs> um, well, there's a research process that can be you can use for either one for copywriting or for writing a nonfiction book. And one of the best places to start, I'm sorry to say it, but it is useful, is Amazon or another place that has a lot of reviews, right? So you're thinking about the book you want to write, then you can go into any place that has reviews. Um, Amazon is obviously a large repository, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. the kind of book you want to write, and then look at what the reviews are saying, not necessarily of the book, but what people wanted from the book, like the questions they had before, and then the questions that were answered, the questions that were left unanswered, what they wanted from it, um, of what they got and what they didn't get. And that will start to give you an idea of what that kind of audience wants. And obviously, you're going to put your own spin on it. You're not going to write the same book someone else wrote. And you can only write your book. Um, but that's a place to start as well. And with conversion copywriting, we always test. So you don't just put live copy and then say you're done. You look to see how it does, and then you make changes. And you can do that too when you're writing a book with beta readers, right? You can say, you know, here's a section of my book. You can put it on, on social media and see what people think. Um, you can do quick readings of parts that are in progress and see how people react. Or you can just put the whole book out and say, hey, so-and-so, you're someone who follows me or like likes my work. Will you tell me what you think about this chapter or this whole book, right? So you're always testing your audience so they can tell you what's working, what's not, um, and what really resonates. And find that really helpful. Yeah. And I would say probably something similar for titles, um, because that's something that people agonize over a lot, titles and blurbs. Um, I know that people who have maybe more captive audiences, Patreon or um, some other subscription service will have polls where they um, ask their favorite followers, like which titles they like the best or um what they think of when they see something, um, vote on covers, all that kind of stuff. But um, how do you know whose advice is the right advice? Like who should you be asking and who shouldn't you be asking for their input? Well, it kind of depends on who your audience is. Um, the more you can figure out who that is, that that's the person you want to ask, right? The person who's going to buy your book or the person who's going to benefit from your book. That's the person you want to ask. Um, not your mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> your mom had a really great opinion about it, but um, 
you know, not other people in your life necessarily. It's going to be the person who's interested in benefiting from that book. Your loved ones are there for when you're having a meltdown. Right. You just need a pat on the back <laughs> and a hug. <laughs> right. But unless that's the person who is going to be your core audience for the book. Yeah. Look for feedback from other sources for sure. I imagine that is going to play a big part in capturing attention as well. But what are some ways that you'll approach a headline or a header or um, copy that you really need to grab somebody and keep their attention? And that can be on websites or in books. Headlines and titles are really tricky. Um, People often think they need to be clever, but you don't really need to make it clever the most important thing is that it's clear so i would approach it um from a standpoint there's a saying first you say it straight then you say it great that's a joanna weeb thing um she does copy hackers copy school first you say it straight so then you just say what you mean and then from there you can work on making it better if you want to um but you want people to understand what you're what you're talking about <laughs> what you're saying what the book is about um especially for a non-fiction book right for a fiction book you know you can be kind of vague and make people curious um for a non-fiction book you want to have the audience in you might even want to think about seo um so you want to be really clear about what it is and then if your audience is telling you that there are other words they would use or things they're searching for you can think about that as well and maybe add that into a subtitle um, and think about how people are going to be searching for you, how people are going to be finding you and how that matches what they're thinking about in their brains as they're coming to you for a solution. How would you say you strike a balance between being boring and being too clever? <laughs> well, you always come back to clarity, right? If you're clear, um, a lot of the time the writing, quote unquote, writing kind of disappears. People don't think of you as boring or clever. They're just taking in the information. And that's not a bad place to be, right? Um, a good place to inject personality is in um, what we call crossheads or via subheading. So um, if you're writing a book, instead of a, it could be, instead of a chapter title, maybe, you know, subheadings throughout a chapter, you can put in more personality. For a website copy, you might put in more personality in those crossheads, subheads, um, but people are scanning, but of course you still want to keep people moving through the page. And then also personality works great at the end of a paragraph to kind of remind people um, that we're having fun here <laughs> or whatever your personality or brand is. So you're telling them what they need to know. You're giving them the information they need to move forward. And then, um, you're also giving them a little personality nugget, right? And then they can remember why they're engaging with your brand in the first place. And then they can keep going from there. So you're saying there might be a little bit more freedom to sort of like make people curious and more of a nonfiction space um, when you're doing transitions and subheaders. I mean, not going overboard, obviously, by saying something that makes absolutely no sense. But uh being a little bit more teasing, I guess. I think so. That's something I haven't thought about for a long time. Um, but I know that when I'm reading a nonfiction book and 
there's a lot of exposition and a lot of exposition, a lot of exposition. Um, then it gets a little bit tedious at times. So I do look forward to those little breaks for my brain um, for, you know, spark personalities, spark emotions, something like that. Um, that keeps me um, tied to the text and what makes me want to keep going and come back to it later. Cause I am a, do, I'm a do not finish gal. <laughs> I'm not going to finish if I'm not interested. Yeah. I don't waste time <laughs> if I'm not interested either. Or if, well, I've been holding these, these polls on LinkedIn where I ask why people aren't um, finishing books. And one that I got probably the most on LinkedIn was that there was something off-putting about the tone of someone's writing, which just opens up an entire new set of questions for me. Um, do you kind of feel that way about tone? And how would you interpret that in terms of like, this will make me put the book down? I do feel the same way because I feel like when a book is off-putting, it can be because it's author focused or they're not focusing on the audience to what the audience wants to know or speaking to them in a way that feels interesting or comfortable or fun depending on what kind of book it is um so if i'm reading like a self-help book and it's kind of stodgy or it's kind of preachy then maybe i don't want to continue because that's not what i want to feel like when i'm reading that self-help book i want to feel comforted i want to feel understood um and that's just me that's that's not everyone or maybe if i'm reading a history book and it's just a, a lot of information without a lot of context then i might not feel like my interest and my needs are being served so really considering the audience throughout is going to help you with your tone um thinking about you know you think about the clarity first and you think about the tone and the voice like who are you speaking to and why? What do you want them to feel like as you're moving through your text? So as a copywriter, and then also I do ghostwriting. So me as a ghostwriter, we have to emulate the uh, main author or business owner's voice uh, while we're still trying to communicate clearly with the messages. How do you emulate someone else's voice while still keeping your like best practices and values there. Yeah, there's a that's a lot to work with when you're working with someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and you have to think about what they mean, what a client means when they say their tone or their voice. Um and for a lot of it it means they want to have their personality on the page. I work with a lot of solo service providers. And so it would be different for a bigger business that has its own like brand voice, which is not a person's voice, right? It's a brand voice. A brand is not a person. But I work with people who work directly with their customers or their, their clients. And the client wants to know who that person is. They want to know what the personality is. They want to know what the experience will be of working with them. They want to give their money to someone who feels good to give their money to, right? They want to like, I want to support this person with my business. And so it's really more about getting their personality on the page. And so you already have that connection to the person before uh, someone decides that they want to buy or if they want to go to a different way. So 
it's really kind of getting to know the person, getting to know what they do and what the results are and communicating that. And then the voice kind of comes in. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> you know, and I really do want to use like the customer's voice as well, especially thinking about, you know, a lot of people think that copywriting is word choice, right? Which word should I use? And there is a lot of word choice in it. <laughs> but that's somewhere where it can come in, you know, like word choice, like what words would I use for my business? That's part of the, my tone, that's part of my voice, but it's more important to think about what my customers, what words they use. And so right. it's a balance of their personality and then thinking about how their customers talk. So it's not just your brand voice, that's also the voice of your customer. Because when you're reading through, you want to be, you want to see yourself on the page. That's a really interesting tension. Um, and I find that with writing books as well, because people want to know that you know what you're talking about. Um, they want to know that you have had the experiences that you're trying to teach or uh, draw information from. But if you talk too much about yourself, it can be really alienating and maybe make you come off in a way that you aren't. Um, that's a euphemism for arrogant. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I I have trouble kind of articulating what that line is for other people. It's sort of a I know it when I see it thing. Do you have a more specific way of recognizing it? I think this is a place where storytelling comes in really well from an author's perspective or a business's perspective. You know, you have your bio. People know who you are and what your qualifications are. So they have that already. They can find that easily. And then storytelling about maybe an introduction to a book, you know, something that happened to you. Um, or people will do this at the beginning of each chapter of a book, right? They'll have a lead-in anecdote. A lot of times they're part of the anecdote. And so that gives you the idea that they're experienced, they know what they're talking about. Maybe they've been doing this for a long time. You know, they say, well, I worked with so-and-so and this is what happened. Then you're not feeling like you're being preached to like, I know best because it's a story embedded in it. And so then you're reading the story and you're interested in that, but it's also telling you that this person has experience. You're rarely the only character in a story yes. <laughs> as well. <laughs> and I find that uh, the best stories are ones where the uh, reader can sort of make you into their avatar a little bit um, and sort of empathize with you as you're going through it. Right. So it's authority building and it's also empathy building at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, I know you have this problem because I had it too. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And that helps with, you know, not feeling like you're being spoken down to. Yeah, agreed. Uh-huh. It's like, I have all of these credentials and I am bestowing this upon you, plebes. <laughs> um, so shifting gears a little bit, I want to get a little more granular about um, the actual process of, of slicing and dicing. Um, so you need to obviously communicate your message and everything that you can do for someone. I'm thinking primarily as a business owner with a website. 
But at the same time, you don't want to overwhelm everyone with, you know, a 12 line paragraph, as we were referring to. So how do you differentiate between what's vital to the customer to know and what is just fluffy and unnecessary? Once again, it comes down to what the customer is going to want, right? Um, But people want to see on a business website what you actually do, what the results are. And it seems very obvious, but it gets missed a lot. Because I feel like solo business owners have a deep understanding of what they do in their business every day, obviously, what happens for the client. And they might have testimonials that say, you know, thank you for X, Y, Z, this is my result, but it's not uh, present in the rest of the copy. So I feel like people really need to be clear about, you know, the steps of a service or what it's like to go through that process. And what we talk about in copywriting is the transformation. We talk about before, what is your life like? And then you receive the service or even even work for a product, you know? Um, and then what is the transformation in your life? Because that's what the person actually wants, right? You know, the whole, the old marketing thing, you know, people don't want a hammer. They want their picture hung on the wall, right? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So you think about what they want their lives to look like after. And then you go back from there, right? Are there things you can cut out? Did you say everything you needed to say clearly? Um, do you have... Uh, specifics. Um, do you prove what you're saying? So people will prove it with testimonials and prove it with, I've worked with such and such company, you know, like proof bars. It's a lot like writing a persuasive essay for high school. You know, you need to make your introduction. You need to make your case. You need to conclude. Um, of course, for ours, you have to ask for a sale at the end or give your offer, right? Um, have that call to action at the end. But if there's any fluff in there, if you've made your case and if people have everything they need to know, then you're done. And you can cut things out and you can cut out. It's hard for writers, especially, you know, like you wrote something really clever, um, but it's just not necessary. Then you can cut it out. I'm sorry. <laughs> they say people don't read on the internet, but people read when they're interested, right? So if it's interesting to them, if it's applicable to my life or what I need right now, then I'm going to read and continue reading. If it's not, I might stop. I might put it in a tab and forget it ever existed. I might go to another solution. I would say particularly the anecdotes that we were talking about in books are the best when they show that transformation as well, depending on whether they're talking about someone who is being taught, someone who is going through the steps that are recommended in the book. And mostly I'm talking about prescriptive nonfiction, which is um, the author trying to teach someone how to do something or how they can make their life better. If I'm not, if I'm looking at a story and I'm not seeing how it relates to that sort of transformational arc, it might be on the chopping block. This might be belaboring a point, but how do you how do you know when you're done with a piece of copy in particular? We can start there. Well, with a book, it has to be done because it's going to go be published. You know, um, but a piece of copy is never done. It's always evolving. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, no, it's a no, cycle, it's right? Uh, with 
conversion copywriting, there's a cycle. So um, you get, you do your research and you get customer information and then you write and then you test it and you get more customer information and then you change it based on that. And then you get more information. And so it's a cycle. And obviously at some point you can stop messing with it if it's working. You, there's a point of, you know, what is it called? Uh, diminishing diminishing returns. returns. Thank you so much. The point of diminishing <laughs> returns, right? Um, mm-hmm. But for most of the time, when I'm turning in copy to a client, then I need to make sure of a few things. I need to make sure that everything is clear. If someone's reading it, they know what I mean. I need to make sure that everything is specific. So there's no vague language. Because that really kills conversions. You say something in a vague way, then people can't really imagine what it's going to be like. Um, I need to make sure that everything has a point. So if you say something, you have to ask yourself, so what? Why does this matter? Why is this on the page? If it doesn't matter, you take it off. Um, and then you go back and you do all that. You say, okay, well, is it still clear? <laughs> After all that, yes, <laughs> right. it's all clear. Um, and then at that point, you have to kind of let it go, right? If you did the best you could do and you spent the time with the research and, you know, you optimize as best you could, send it out to the universe and see how it does because humans are complex and you can do the best practices possible and you have no idea how something's going to land until you give it to someone. Yeah, there's no guarantees. Anybody who tells you that you're guaranteed a 100%, you know, increase in ROI or something like that is is suspicious to me. <laughs> right. Especially with copywriting, there are things you can do that can increase conversions. And that's the whole point. And that's what we're trying to do. But you can't guarantee it because um, there's a lot going on in the world. And there's a lot going on in someone's business that's not their website and there's a lot going on with a person behind the screen um i can't make someone click a button i can try to convince no. them to click a button you know? <laughs> but i can't make them do it so yeah lead a horse to water and etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> um it's interesting because you saying that people all kind of come from their different backgrounds um I was kind of taught that using very like you centric language is uh, the most important thing possible. But I've also heard um, and felt uh, that if it gets too over the top with like, it it sounds accusatory almost, or like you're being presumptuous about what you know about somebody's problem. So um, I don't know how much hedging can happen in copywriting, but I there's a there's kind of a delicate balance there in book writing um, that I've discovered as I've worked over time. I don't know if you've had complaints that sort of reflect that. No, not really complaints, but I do change how I address the audience based on who they are. So I will use you most of the time. Like you want to speak like you're speaking to someone, right? You're addressing a person. Um, but not necessarily using you all the time that could come across as like being too seen. 
to me. <laughs> like, stop talking to me. I was trying to read a book. Um, we just met. <laughs> but there are places where I'll use less of that kind of language, less direct language. And I'll use a lot of passive voice um, when I'm writing for uh, the medical field. Because mm. I don't want people to feel like they're causing their own problems are things like this, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, like illness can occur, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, right. it can occur. Like, you know? Not you made yourself sick. <laughs> right? You want to make people feel like they have agency, but you don't want to make people feel like it's, that's their own fault. So it really depends on what you're writing, what the purpose of it is. And once again, you know, how you want people to feel when they're reading it. So what are some practices that you see in other people's writing that or or trends, popular words, popular turns of phrase, other than this like LinkedIn thing we were talking <laughs> about earlier, um, that kind of make you want to bash your head against your desk? And and I need to I need to preface this with um this is this is a matter of personal opinion. <laughs> right. If you do this, it's fine. It's just I'm just one person. Um mm-hmm. Some people might love it. <laughs> Just ask your audience. <laughs> right. I guess, you know, where I see the writing that turns me off the most is on LinkedIn. Um, and it's so funny because Instagram can be a little instagram you know, people can be a little bit of braggy or try to show what a wonderful life they have. And it's a little bit annoying, but nothing makes me want to just turn off my computer and walk away like some of the writing on LinkedIn. Um, because it is so, a lot of it can be so self-possessed about trying to be the smartest person in the room, not sharing expertise, but there's a lot, a lot of posts that are great sharing expertise in a friendly way and an approachable way. And, you know, you know, encouraging people to ask questions and then answering to the questions. Um, but there's a lot of people trying to prove something. Um, and that's, and that can be a real turnoff. Um, I'm trying to think of maybe a more specific example, but not too specific. <laughs> I'm struggling with the word journey right now. Yeah. Of- and I'm not saying, because I've used it quite a bit, but I'm at the point where I'm like, there's got to be a better way or another way at least to kind of thin this out. Yeah, it's a trip, man. Try that. bro (laughs) yeah especially since like all of my all of my branding is centered on maps that's sort of kind of maybe that's why i'm so hung up on it right when you it's the yellow car thing right if you start this if you get a yellow car you see them everywhere um words like that will start popping out to you um i don't think i really have a a buzzword that i don't like right now i think i'm feeling pretty chill about it you know, like if you have a journey, you get to be open-minded. Cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> just that people, um, yeah, like what is your intention? Is this intention behind this writing to make me feel good? Or is it is attention behind the writing to make yourself feel good? And you can tell the difference. Uh, so you mentioned that you have written a nonfiction book yourself. And I'm curious, first, what is it? Um, If you would like to tell us where we can find it. And secondly, how did you find the experience of writing it to be different than your 
daily bread website right writing. so this is something i wrote 12 ish years ago um it came out about i self-published it about 11 years ago it's not in print anymore um it's called roller derby for beginners and it was a how-to book for basically how to start playing roller derby because a lot of people were interested at that point um and then there was a lot of information on the internet i wanted to create like one place where people could go and say like here's what you buy this is what you can expect this is what's going to happen to you <laughs> because i saw that too with my coaching people had so many questions their heads were just overbringing with them i found the process i was not working as a full-time freelance writer yet i was still doing a nine to five at that point uh so I found it grueling in a way that I do not find my job today grueling, but only because I had a nine to five, I had a nine to five. And so I'd come home um, and I was pregnant. Oh, <laughs> I was pregnant and I was trying to get the book done before the baby got done. Um, I found it difficult to write that much. So the, the overall length was felt really daunting, right? Because I blogged, I was a writer, I like to write and I would do this and that, but I'd never written anything that long before. Um, and so that felt really daunting until I did it. And then it felt like the biggest accomplishment. And I was so proud of myself. And then directly afterward, I thought, oh crap, just anyone can write a book. <laughs> but if true. I did it, then like any jerk can do it, right? <laughs> It's like nothing special about me. Um, mm -hmm. But what I felt was most rewarding to me was the beta reading process, which I hadn't even really planned for. Then someone suggested it to me and I thought, well, that's a good idea. And I had a blog about roller derby. And so, you know, I think eight or 10 people said yes. And I found that so helpful and I was so grateful for it. And I found it so fulfilling to get their information back because I'd had my own experiences and they had their experiences too that they shared with me. And that was information that I never would have had. You know, I had that reflected back to me. Um, and it really helped me with the editing process because the editing process can be pretty grueling. But having that support, I also felt like emotional support at that point. Because I thought that maybe one or two people would say yes to that. But then I had this kind of outpouring of support that I didn't expect. Um, and they were so generous with their time. It also felt like it was a buoy for me as I went back through the edits. Um, I wish I had emotional support for the formatting, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> and when you, um, when you gave the book to beta readers to make their suggestions, how, what percentage would you say you were done with the writing process and how much did you have to go back and change after you uh, had them read it? I'd say I had a solid first draft when I sent it out and I started thinking about editing and I did not know one thing about editing. Someone asked me, do you need developmental editing or like proofreading? And I said, oh, there's a difference, <laughs> which is funny to me because it's yeah. something that I teach there people about is. all the time now. Right. Um, and I think that person maybe suggested to me that I should have readers look at it at that point. Um, and so then I went back, what much did I change? It was mostly additions. They really made it more rich 
Um, so I didn't have to really change yeah. a lot, but there was a lot that I added at that point. And then I think I went through, you know, maybe another round of edits after that. And then I got proofread. Then you had to uh, load it up and design it. Oh, yeah. It well, I own. had the um, the jacket done for me. Um, Sarah Giffro. <laughs> yeah. Um, did the hey, photo shoot. I, I was eight months pregnant. Um, <laughs> like, she's like, do you want to have input on this? And I said, please just take the photo and <laughs> take the photo and make it happen. I don't want to have, I don't want to think about it. Um, and she did such a great job with it. And that was the inside that I did, which I banged my head against the wall wrong for a long time. You know? Well, thanks for sharing that experience. Um, the people who are listening to this are mostly going to be people who are at least thinking about maybe writing a book. Would you recommend it? Uh, you, I know you said any <laughs> jerk can do it if you can do it, but <laughs> is it something that you would recommend to people um, or some people and not others? If it's something you want to do, I definitely recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it as something to tick off your list just to do it. But if, there, if there's a book inside of you, then yes. People, you know, I'm a writer. I've been writing for a long time. People often ask me, like, are you going to write a novel? Like, that's the highest point of writing or something you should aspire to if you're a writer. And I said, no, I don't, I don't have one, right? There isn't one in me, right? I don't have one that wants to get out. Um, if there's a book in you or if you think that you have that kind of experience you want to share with others and that appeals to you, then yes, go for it. I know I said that it was daunting, you know, maybe don't do it when you're seven months pregnant or whatever. <laughs> you're very tired. I can say as someone who's done it several times, it never stops being right. daunting. That's that's just been the the truth. It it gets more familiar and it gets to be something that you you feel more like you know what you're doing, but it's the same as basically any project that's never going to just be a cookie cutter and if it is then it's not really <laughs> yours and it's not unique <laughs> but I think it's impossible to like have that same thing happen right. again and, and again it's I wouldn't say it's easy to write two pages a day right not necessarily not necessarily easy to write two pages a day but it can feel easy at certain points. <laughs> Some days it's easy to write two pages. Some days it's impossible <laughs> right. to write two paragraphs. It's one of those things. It's like <laughs> putting one foot in front of the other and then you see how far you've come, right? It's possible. Mm -hmm. It is. What do you do when you're when you feel like you're out of juice, uh, whether you're working on a website or any other piece of writing? I stop. I go do something else. Um I have to be really protective of my energy and my body gives me a lot of information and a lot of clues about what I need to do. And so I give myself a lot of lead time. I try to finish things early. So I have a lot of lead time. Um, I'll often go for a walk. I do a lot of walking. Um, I get a lot of ideas while I'm walking. So I don't feel like that's not work time or wasted time. That is definitely time I need to do my best work as to do that. Um, and I just relax and shut down at the end of the day. I don't try to be productive. 
after I've already produced things all day long. Um, I don't try to be productive after like nine o'clock at night anymore. Um, thinking about when my best work gets done and then doing it. And then if the my brain's not working, I just stop. I do something else because it's not worth forcing it for me at this point in my life. That's extremely healthy. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. I mean, if there's a deadline or if you're saying like, oh, I'm going to write 500 words a day and you're at 480, yeah, that's something you can push through. But if it's me and it's 450 and I'm trying to push myself to get something done, I'm like, no, just, just turn it off. It's fine. Anything else you want to share with us? It's on your mind. Questions are gold for copywriting. Questions are gold for any kind of writer. So if your audience is asking you a question, then they're giving you a huge gift. They're telling you exactly what they want to know. Um, so if you have a following on social media, you can ask questions or let them ask you questions. Um, do posts that are open-ended open, my, open ended, um, and be open-minded, I guess. And if people ask you a lot of questions, maybe on a contact form on your website, or maybe they email you and you're like, oh, it's so annoying because, you know, it says on my website this. Um, just think of it as a gift because the person you're trying to reach is trying to give you information about what they need. Um, and if it's not your customer, it's good to know that too, <laughs> right? If someone's emailing yeah. you and they're not your customer, they're trying, you know, for a service business, they might be trying to lowball you then you know, like, that's something I need to fix my website. I need to show that I don't have that kind of service, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, testimonials are fantastic. Um, review mining is good. But if your audience or someone adjacent to your audience is asking you questions, that is always gold and pay attention to it. Okay. Thank you for that. Sure. When you were about to say open-minded, I thought you were going to say open mic. <laughs> and now I'm thinking about like, what's it, what would it look like to have a LinkedIn open mic for your customers? Um, I'd say that'd be 90% fun. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that if that's something that could be done. Um, where can people find you online? Well, you can find me at my website. You have to spell it very carefully. It's kellygardner.com. You have to get all the letters because <laughs> I have a few more extra letters than you might anticipate. Um, and then you can also link in with me at LinkedIn. I try to be helpful. Um, you are. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you can just <laughs> find me there and send me a, send me a request and then I'll bloop, say yep. Great. Well, you can find Hybrid Pub Scout on um online hybridpubscout.com um and instagram at hybridpubscoutpod i am off twitter now because as far as i'm concerned it doesn't exist uh you can also find me on linkedin and add me and follow hybrid pub scout there uh be sure when i make the post about this to carefully check kelly's name spelling <laughs> i will share that in the show notes as well um, Kelly, thank you so much for coming today. Yeah, thank you so much. It was so fun. And thanks for listening.